Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. This is Drew. What's up, in-betweeners? Hey, hey. What's going on, everybody? So, this week, with the release of The Suicide Squad, The, the Suicide, Suicide Squad, Squad, The Ohio State University Penitentiary, <laughs> <laughs> With the release of The Suicide Squad, we do, we've we decided to do an episode doing our autopsy. Usually we do kind of an episode where we do, uh, you know, kind of discuss the the potential story ideas uh, that, go, that act as the source material. But, uh, you know, this time we're just going to go straight to it. So we're going to talk uh, right before this episode started. We decided to uh, check out the movie and uh, we're giving you... Our freshest hot takes. Our freshest, hottest takes. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Last year, about a year ago, we did do an episode where we, we dived into Suicide Squad comics. I don't remember exactly what episode number that was, but it was probably right around the time that uh, DC did their fandom and a bunch of news about the Suicide Squad came out. And I remember we did sense. talk about quite a few Suicide Squad comics, yeah. so you could always check out the archives if you want to hear what two comic book genius savants have to say about the Suicide Squad. And truth be told, you know, although there have been a few other iterations of the Suicide Squad at this point, the John Ostrander stu- Suicide Squad is, it's basically it, you know, yeah, at it's, least it's head as far as we're concerned. Yeah, it's head and shoulders above everything else. If if you want to read the more recent comics from the past, I don't know, within the past 10 years or so, mm-hmm. you can go ahead and do that. I'm not dissuading or stopping anybody from doing it, but I have no use for those comics, personally speaking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, would, I would have to hear from a pretty trusted source that I have a lot of uh that i give a lot of credibility to i'd have to hear some pretty high praise in order for me to believe that these more recent versions of the suicide squad you know are the are the versions of the suicide squad that that should be the cornerstone and the foundation of any suicide squad story yeah, and I haven't heard anybody say anything really positive about uh, those comics. Yeah. Ever since the yeah the Rebirth era, uh, or the New Fifty Two era, through the Rebirth era up to today, there's, I mean, do people buy those comics? Yeah, people buy them. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't yeah. keep on making them. So clearly, there's an audience. But mm-hmm. just because something sells, doesn't mean that. I think it's worth reading. It's just a bunch of yeah. fanboy garbage, in my opinion. Yeah. And really, it's really a matter of the test of time. And, uh, you know, maybe you can say that John Ostrander's Suicide Squad has the benefit of being older. And therefore, we can emphatically say that it's able to withstand the test of time. Whereas these more recent versions... Maybe you can't quite say that, but yeah, you know, I'm confident personally in my heart of hearts. I'm confident that 25 years from now, the versions of the Suicide Squad that 
are current today aren't going to be versions that anyone's going to really have anything to say about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think people had anything to say about them right now. It's yeah. kind of hard to believe that people will be dissecting those comics 25 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, we've spent a good amount of time denigrating the current modern <laughs> Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I personally, dude, I, I couldn't even tell you who some of those creative teams are. So it's it's absolutely nothing personal, but whoever was making those comics created a bunch of really forgettable comics, mm. or a bunch well, of comics that I didn't... Like, I, I tried reading some of those. I remember borrowing some from the library. Uh-huh. It, they just weren't good comics, man. Like, those kind of mediocre superhero comics are a dime a dozen and i don't really i don't really got time for that you know what i'm saying like if i'm gonna yeah do a superhero comic it's got to meet a basic minimum level of competence yeah i'm pretty sure one of them well i don't i don't even know uh so you know what don't don't take me take my word for it but i want to say that one of them might have been like joshua williamson yeah and, and I, yeah he was, you don't really think too highly of him i know that i don't sure. think I don't think too highly of him, but I do know that for um, for a time he was kind of the uh, up and coming golden child child over at DC. And I have heard people say good things about his Flash run. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know. I I remember hearing about one of the storylines he did, and I can't say that the idea on paper did anything to excite me to read any of his work. Was it a time travel story that involved using nanites to mind control people and give them amnesia? No, it was a story about the city where the Flash lived being uh, exposed to his powers. So you had a city full of super speedsters and now the Flash had to live in a world where he wasn't the only speedster around. And, you know, it tried to take different ideas of uh, what life would be like for your average person to, to have super speed. And yeah. one of the ongoing mysteries was that somebody in this new world is a, is a serial killer. So what happens when a serial killer gets super speed is... This is the basic crux of it. And it, it was basically Spider Island for the Flash. Yeah, that sounds extremely unappealing. Yeah, yeah. But he had a long run on that. And um, and I, I want to say that his run on the Suicide Squad involved him doing a story where the Suicide Squad would finally take on the Justice League. Okay. And how did that turn out for them? I don't know because that was really that was really the conceit of it of of that entire story and if that's all you got that's not much. <laughs> it's a pretty shallow concept coming yeah. up with an idea just to have two super teams fight each other. That's pretty much a common trope. You don't really yeah. need a whole yeah. lot of creativity to to do that. Yeah. The characters have already been created for you all you have to do is concoct 
a dumb situation to force them to be at odds. Yeah. And just have I, an artist draw some fight scenes. Yeah. I personally wanted it to be a story where the Justice League has to tries to pull over one of the Suicide Squad and gives them a parking ticket, and it just devolves into a massive superhero fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's my story. <laughs> it's about superhero road rage. <laughs> yeah, that that would be a good hook. Okay, if, if you sold it to me like that, I would buy it. Uh, you're my number one fan, Drew. <laughs> The thing with John Ostrander's run on the, on the Suicide Squad comic, though, and what makes his run far superior to all the other runs is what he did with the team. Because his his concept for the squad wasn't just to take random no-name villains and put them on missions and have them die so that the reader would always be guessing uh, who's going to survive the story. I mean, of course, that's part of the gimmick, but if that's the entire gimmick, it's a pretty weak, tiresome yeah. trick, you know? Like, you, that can only take you so long, and it leads to very surface-level, superficial, plot-driven kinds yeah. of stories. What made Ostrander's run stand out was because he gave the stories depth, and he had the team deal with more complicated issues and he forced them into moral quandaries and uh he for the reader he he makes he made the reader have to like really think about what the protagonists were trying to accomplish because a lot of the things that the kind of missions that they were doing were were questionable uh, you yeah. know morally questionable eth ethically questionable and they were done by these obviously really bad people. Yeah. So for a reader, you're kind of uh, attuned to rooting for the heroes. But yeah, the thing with the Suicide Squad is that they're not they're not actually heroes. They're they're protagonists of the story. Yeah. So you have to keep that distinction in your mind. And the stories that Ostrander concocted over the entire series that he did was just continuing to put them in these situations where yeah the you as the reader were were fascinated by the the missions and the the jobs that they were trying to do but yeah. at the same time you, you couldn't really maybe the maybe some of the people that they were fighting or or uh toppling deserved to be toppled but there were also like there's still bad people yeah, there, the, there the was... team, the Suicide Squad themselves, are still bad people, and even though you're they're taking down supposedly greater threats or whatever, like people forget that, right? Like I think mm -hmm. the impulse for a lot of people is to, uh, is that they have to like the characters that they're reading about, or that the characters that they're reading about have to be good, and mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's a pretty nuanced take on characters, which is this understanding that, you know what, uh, just because they're the point of view character, it doesn't necessarily mean that 
what they're doing is just, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And exactly. And to your point earlier, like I do feel like even though John Ostrander writes these uh these stories that are complex and uh morally gray a lot of the times which are which which makes for like great drama uh i feel like a lot of people who read those comics or or who who have any like basic understanding of the suicide squad like their takeaway often is just the idea that oh what's cool about this comic is any one of them can die and not to fall in love with these characters like I, yeah. I feel like there are so many interviews where that's the case, where that's that's what the takeaway is. And yeah, they just love the action. Yeah, na- action oriented nature of these kind of comics. Exactly. And and again, it's part of it. It's a big part of it. I'm not going to lie. I, I'm not going to like deny that. But it uh, can't be the heart of the comic, though. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Like there's so much more to those stories than just. At any moment, anyone can die. I mean, that's that's life. At any moment, I could walk out and I could club someone to death and <laughs> they would suddenly be dead. I could that have was a well done, out. Albert. That was well done. I, th- I thought you were about to say, at any moment, I could walk outside of the house and get struck by a, by a truck. No. But no, no. You, no. you, you I made myself the murderer in the story. Yeah. Because... Yeah. <laughs> Other people don't kill me. I kill me. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Thank you. But the point being, like, that, you know, that's just life, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the real drama is about the the conflict. And that's that's what uh, John Ostrander's Suicide Squad uh, excels at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's there's the the moral quandaries, the, the ethical conflicts but and there's also the the psychological aspect of it too yeah one of the things that ostrander regularly did throughout his entire run which was i think it was around like 60 issues maybe 70 something like that it was a substantial amount of issues and i think the primary artist was mostly luke mcdonald and i forget who else drew it but one of the things that ostrander did on a regular basis was he devoted a, a bunch of time to the team when they were just in prison in between missions. So they would go on these missions outside to work off and reduce time for their sentence. And then when they'd complete that mission, the survivors would return to Bell Rev Penitentiary. And at that point, you would actually see a little bit of what their lives were like in prison. One of the elements of their time in prison was there was this uh i guess he i forget if he was a psychologist uh or just a chaplain or something but he would the dude i forgot his name too i think it was father kramer but he he was a guy who would uh interact with these inmates the the people that formed task force x or the suicide squad and figure out what was going on in their heads, you know, and he's a a normal person, a normal, you know, good hearted person dealing with these hardened murderers and, and criminals that have powers. 
sociopaths. So you, yeah, these sociopaths. So you would see him dealing with, with them. And it, it, it wasn't just an excuse to get into the heads of these supervillains. But by doing that, uh, he also became a key character in the story. Like the, the other Task Force X staff people, the people that stay in the base and, and help monitor the the subjects or the, the, the inmates, they were supporting cast members. You know, they were the people that, that did Amanda Waller's bidding. Mm-hmm, they would mm-hmm. get character development. And sometimes you would... One of the my favorite stories in that run was was a, a subplot about how one of the staff members basically fell in love with one of the members of the suicide squad and that pretty much wrecked her life (laughs) (laughs) see kids don't fall in love (laughs) yeah it doesn't matter if they're uh convicted criminals or not just don't fall in love yeah once you open your heart up to vulnerabilities it means that they can stab you there yeah if you ever allow yourself to love somebody, you are just going to learn what true loneliness feels like. <laughs> exactly. Loving something is the first step in losing that love. Yeah, it, it's, it is a weakness of the human condition. So I recommend that you just choose not to love anything or anybody except maybe yourself. Exactly. When I wake up in the morning, I don't eat any food of any nutritional value i just eat blocks of ice because that hardens my heart and hardens my resolve yeah yeah <laughs> uh anyways <laughs> so that that's enough pontificating about the comics for now i suppose what did you think about the suicide squad uh like Okay, so in short, uh, the short answer is I I enjoyed it. You know, I think there was a lot of hype around it. I and I overall uh, would agree with it. I I don't think it's a perfect movie. I think there are certain things here and there uh, that I wouldn't say that like I hated them or like, but you know, there are certain decisions that I thought were interesting and. Uh, but overall, like it was just a entertaining experience, and um, yeah, are we are we going into straight into spoilful territory, or are we just are we just uh, talking about impressions right now? Uh, well, if those are all the impressions you have that are spoil free, then I guess I can share my spoil free impressions before we go into spoilful discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm People, speaking your language, Albert. Thank you, thank you. Uh, like, it, we keep doing this. Eventually, people are just going to be like, these two people are mad. <laughs> they're just mad. <laughs> they're not even, like, they're not even catchphrases. They're just making garbage up in the hopes <laughs> that something will catch fire. <laughs> so, I mean, that's uh, how I live most of my life, though, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> that's how DC creates most of their comics. <laughs> Uh, man you you just we just read that interview earlier this week between the hollywood reporter and and jim lee and uh i forget the other dude's name something cherry the two two you know the two executives at dc yeah, comics and that wigs. did not instill me with 
any confidence in their comics whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless we see like uh, a, a quantifiable change in, in product uh, or in quality, it's it's hard for me to believe that them continuing to do what they do is uh gonna do much of anything for my yeah. level of interest. But, yeah. Mm. So Anyways. my general impression of the Suicide Squad is that I also entertained it. I found it. Uh, I don't think I came in with any particular expectations. I think I I felt pretty confident that it would be the best DC extended universe movie or whatever you call the DC movie universe as a collective. Mm-hmm. Like out of all the recent movies of the past 10 years, I th- I think it's pretty obvious that this one was the best one that they've done yeah. by a pretty wide margin. Yeah. James Gunn like He's clearly a talented dude, um, and them poaching James Gunn over from Disney was a great move on their part. Smart move. Um, like the guy, uh, he's credited as one of the the scriptwriters for it. I noticed, and uh, you know, it shows. It has his flair for for comedy, and uh, I, I, you know, and I'll say it, and humanity and a uh, character and even though uh when the movie was over you did turn to me and you say you did say that it wasn't something that felt like it had quite as much heart as uh as guardians, as, uh, guardians of the galaxy like i don't think it was devoid of uh character or humanity you know mm-hmm. like the 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 people were still engaging you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I was fine with that. Um, well, okay. Here's what 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 my response to you was to to that statement, which was, I did think that the Suicide Squad didn't have. So at the core of Guardians of the Galaxy, at, at the core of those films, it was a story of family, right? It was a story of right. like strangers being family, and that's a you know that's that's something that tugs on emotional heartstrings quite a bit. And uh, that's understandable, but I would not want something like that for the Suicide Squad. It wouldn't uh, make sense. It wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't fit the tone uh, because the Suicide Squad at its core is a story of, uh, it's like you said, it's a story of morally uh, questionable characters, criminals, sociopaths, monsters, uh, tasked mm-hmm. at uh doing missions that are that are equally as as questionable right uh, mm-hmm. like in some cases yeah they they go on good missions that you know help save people but they might be for bad reasons or in other examples they might be doing something bad but for good reasons you know mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's all a mixed bag and that being said i don't need the suicide squad I don't want to feel like they're a family at the end of this, you know. I don't want to they I don't think the point is to be in love with the characters. Um I don't know, man. People are people are weird uh cuz 
especially in this day and age, I, I do feel like there are a lot of people who who uh, gravitate towards certain characters, and I don't know. It, I feel like it it just kind of warps their perspective on on life because uh, they're they're so focused on this idea that just because I like these characters automatically means that they are justified and that they are good right yeah so like one of the big ones that we we mention a lot here is someone like the joker right yeah and there are a lot of people who like the joker but for whatever reason they've they put it in their head that well they put it they've got it in their head that he's a misfit so that means what he does is okay. He, you know, so yeah, they think he's cool. Yeah, exactly. Because he's cool. That means what he does is okay. Right. And it's, um, and yeah. And, and you see that, that kind of like behavior and thinking over and over again, you see that with like, uh, like I I think Walter White from breaking bad is another character that a lot of people like, again, they look at him and they're like, Oh, he's so cool. He's so badass. He doesn't take crap from anyone. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, the dude was a drug dealer and a murderer, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. But but that's the thing. The Suicide Squad, like, again, these are – they might be cool uh, or they might be doing the, – the end result of whatever they're doing might be ultimately good. But, you know, they're doing it for selfish reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. they're And they are, at the end of the day – killers or or at least at the very least criminals Mm -hmm. you know uh so yeah that being said i i don't feel i i don't think it would feel right to make them warm and cuddly and cute and likable you know um yeah Yeah. i I think are are we diving straight into spoiful discussion now oh i mean I, i i thought i tried my best to just keep that pretty general uh but yeah. No, I'm I'm just asking because I I want to comment oh. on your point. Uh yeah, okay, let's just do it. Let's, you know, while we're while the while the iron's hot, let's strike. Okay, so we we're, we're going to talk full spoilers about the movie now. Yeah, we're um, just going to Yeah, jump so into if you it. have if you care about spoilers, you can come back and and listen to us after you watch the movie. But yeah, to your point Albert about how the squad isn't a family nor is it meant to be a family i was also gonna the point i wanted to make was there were times especially as the film went on and as it progressed towards the ending i felt like it was trying to have its cake and eat it too where Mm -hmm. you had a young young rat catcher uh demonstrate a more i guess a more human side compared to the other characters and and in a way, um, even having Bloodsport demonstrate a, a little bit of paternalistic characteristics towards her, yeah, it it felt like that kind of goes against the idea of the squad not being a family because there was a moment where he actually said, "You remind me of my daughter." Yeah, and the the movie early on in the movie when we're first introduced to Bloodsport, we see what his relationship with his daughter is like. And it's contentious because he's not a good father. He's not there for his daughter. He's, I mean, he's in prison. So yeah, like yeah. that kind of tells you 
you know, how good of a father can he actually be? Being uh, Are you saying that Bloodsport is many things? He's many things, man. He's a convicted murderer. He's a hellraiser. Yeah. <laughs> he's a he's a he's a so-so father. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that they they introduced Bloodsport like that and and gave you a sense of of who he is, it kind of sets up this expectation throughout the film where he's going to somehow the experiences that he endures throughout the film are going to leave him changed assuming he survives which he does Mm -hmm. they're going to change him into being a better man or even a a better a better father in some way Mm -hmm. and maybe it's not necessarily a better father to his own daughter because he's still going to be in prison but now he has this daughter-like figure that he has a bond with so i think i think even though the movie doesn't really go out of its way to emphasize the theme of family the way that james gunn's guardians of the galaxy films do mm-hmm. i do think that it tries to have some heart but it kind of just rings a little bit hollow and I don't think it's necessarily a problem because, like you said, it it's not really an element that I need or want in a Suicide Squad film. Yeah. But I did notice that it was there, and I felt that because it was there, uh, I had to think about it and consider whether I was affected by how they addressed that subject. And if if I had to honestly answer that question, I I. It felt like just one of those things to try and give the characters a little bit more development and likability, but it it doesn't really go much farther than that in a, on a deeper emotional level. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not an emotional cornerstone of their uh of their story, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it is. I I don't know. Um, you know what though? I remember reading that when they first casted Idris Elba, he was supposed to actually replace Will Smith as Deadshot. Yeah, I remember that too. But then yeah. it quickly changed after that. Yeah, yeah. But the I other thing that I was thinking of, I think they just uh changed him to Bloodsport because there was always an off chance that they could get Will Smith to come back in a future movie. So if they did that, he could play continue to play Deadshot, yeah, and uh, did you say Bloodshot? Deadshot, you're right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and Idris Elba <laughs> could continue to play Bloodsport. <laughs> oh, man, all their names are just jumbling together. Uh, Dude, throughout the entire movie, every time I saw Bloodsport, I wanted, I kept thinking of him as Sportsmaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was thinking the same thing, and mostly because I don't ever think of Blood. Uh, blood sport, but I definitely think of Sportsmaster more than Blood Sport mm-hmm. on average, <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. Same here, man. I did I did have another thought, though, while oh, we were Oh, talking. wait. I, w- I was going to say about uh, Deadshot, though. The, the thing with Deadshot was that his character... Uh, he, he was a bad he, father, he was too. Father. Yeah, he was a bad <laughs> yeah. father. Like, he, he had a daughter also, and, and that was... Like, some of the best Deadshot comics you can find our stories about him and him 
not trying necessarily trying to be a good father, but there's stories about him as a father. Mm, mm. Like a lot of the stuff that uh, that's he, kind of the deals with internally. Yeah, about fatherhood. So yeah. he, like his daughter is is definitely important to him, but he's just not there for her because he is who he is. Yeah. So it, it's interesting to see that kind of character arc or characteristics uh, trans planted onto Bloodsport because it pretty much works the same way, I think. Yeah. It's it's kind of... It's kind of unfortunate in that... I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Ed- Edris Elba in this movie, and I liked what they did with Bloodsport, who I never think about, and from <laughs> here on forward, if Bloodsport becomes a big thing, it'll be because of this movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but... Uh yeah, it there there is something uh there is something kind of uh not sad but it's you know like the the film we could have had if uh the first Suicide Squad film hadn't tanked so badly mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. they could have had Will Smith as Deadshot doing this movie and and all that but yeah but what what if know. his what if Jaden Smith played his son? Oof. Then can we have a story where Jaden Smith's death causes Deadshot to be a better man? <laughs> <laughs> can that be at the core of his character arc? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But I did have a, a another thought while we were talking about um, the characters that comprise the, the team. Of, mm-hmm. uh, of the Suicide Squad, and although we mentioned that most of them are hardened criminals, they did mention that one of the members of their team, Ratcatcher, she's just this young girl, and I feel like over and over again we're reminded that she's really not as bad as the rest of them. Like yeah. just in terms of her demeanor, she's a lot more uh what's the word is it affable yeah she doesn't yeah. she also doesn't seem like a crazed killer yeah and like they even mentioned that she's in jail for like theft you know and oh okay yeah cuz she she was telling her story and she was saying that i came to this country just to and you know i was robbing a bank just to survive and mm-hmm. you know that was the American dream was just for me to come to America. And, you know, when I came here, I couldn't survive. So I ended up robbing banks and that's what they arrested me for and yeah. because of my, you know, my talent or my, uh, abilities. Like they, they put me in with all these seriously messed up criminals. Right. Yeah. So they're constantly downplaying her, uh characteristics relative to the other characters in the group right mm-hmm. and i know we we did mention that um we did mention that the suicide squad is just this team of killers and monsters and you know that's kind of not necessarily the story that we need but it did remind me of something like the thunderbolts uh over at marvel comics where mm-hmm. during Warden Ellis's run, even though there were some like clearly bad people on that 
on on the Thunderbolts on that team, and yeah. and it it had a very similar premise, which was a team of supervillains that were re, uh, not reformed but co co opted to serve coerced. the bidding of the government, coerced to serve the bidding of the go- government. But there were some members of that team that were gen gen that turned out to be genuinely good, you know. And yeah, yeah. It did it did make the dynamic more interest or not more interesting, but it did add an extra element to the dynamic that made it interesting when you know you had one you you had a co- couple of genuinely good or sincere characters who had to interact with these criminals yeah. right yeah those thunderbolts had songbird and radioactive man yeah they were yeah at, by that point they were genuinely reformed and they yeah. were they were actual heroes he even had like pendants on the team and he was i mean he wasn't a criminal uh, he just uh, had some mental issues <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> he well, was a uh, um he was really into what you call BDSM? it BDSM. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but to be fair, um in the movie it's not like the the dynamic still wasn't quite the same. I mean, it wasn't like she was the one good character amongst like truly dangerous deranged villains. Yeah, she was know? in over her head. She was a kid in over her head. That's what she yeah. was. Yeah. And they did still soften the edges around the villains that she was around, but yeah, it's it's interesting to think about that and compare it to the Suicide Squad comics because in Ostrander's run, he did have some characters who were genuinely good people. I mean, mm-hmm. Rick Flag was a, a genuinely good guy on the Suicide Squad, and Bronze Tiger was on the team, and he he was a hero also. You know, like they were the guys that kind of kept the the criminals in line they they were they were there more because they chose to be not because they had a an explosive implanted at the base of their skull or whatever it was yeah but in the in the movie uh and i I don't know what how it was in the first suicide squad movie because i just assumed it sucked and i didn't bother watching it but in, (laughs) in this movie you don't really have uh a, you know the the classic hero unless unless uh rick flag in in this movie counts which I, I guess in a way he does right like he i don't know what he did in the first movie but at, at least in in this movie it seemed like he still had that that uh drive to try and and do the right thing you know he wasn't just some guy who murdered people for his own giggles yeah, we, you know, if he was gonna kill somebody, it it was for, you know, a purpose. Or, yeah, you know, he wasn't out to like do it for pleasure. Yeah, he um, yeah, uh, I don't really remember, like how, I don't remember what his uh how he was portrayed in that first film, but I th- I want to say it was pretty consistent. You know, like I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think his behavior in that first film was so different from what we saw in this film. Mm-hmm. But 
you know that first film that the 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 v-less suicide squad film the david one you know without the v v-less <laughs> the the v-less suicide squad yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it it still sucked even if you know uh, even if uh, uh rick flag's character wasn't substantially different like mm-hmm. I can say he didn't ruin it. He wasn't the the thing that made it suck. I'll tell you yeah. that much. Yeah. Did you have any thoughts on anything in the plot? Or was there anything else in the story that gave you something to, to think about or consider? Um, yeah, I mean, there were... So when I finished watching the movie, my first thought was that... It was a pretty, like, straightforward action flick. Like, I don't think... I'm I'm a little hard-pressed to say that there's any commentary being made. And when we were discussing it, you did mention... You did ask me if uh, if I had any uh, personal thoughts on the idea of the American government... So, okay... This is a bigger spoiler, but one of the big reveals in the film is that uh, the project that they are going to uh, eliminate is this project called Starro, which is, or Project Starfish, which is also Starro the Conqueror. And what that is, is it's it's a giant alien starfish that shoots out little starfishes that attach themselves to people's faces and Mm -hmm. controls their minds. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's been held on this small, uh, I want to say Latin American or not even Latin American, small Latin Island, Like it's a made up place, but, uh, you know, yeah. uh, It's interesting that they chose that name though, because that that's, uh, the name of a famous comic book. What's it called? Cordo Maltese. That's what they, that was the name of the huh. Yeah, it's a, an Did Italian comic created by Hugo Pratt. Interesting. Like one of the most famous European comics. I wonder I wonder what the thought process behind that was. Um that's pretty obscure or I wasn't aware of that at all. Yeah, I've I've never actually read those comics. But I've just heard of it and Hugo Pratt is one of those names that's, you know, a, a big name in like an icon European comics, yeah, so yeah. One of his more famous works, I guess. Mm. I just don't really know much about it because as we discussed in that one episode where we talked about the Incal, I don't know nothing about yeah. European comics. Our knowledge of European yeah. comics, it's it's, it's pretty a huge minimal blind spot. Yeah. yeah. But um yeah, so uh it turns out that this giant starfish alien is being held on this uh, small Latin island. And the revelation is that the American government has actually been working with the corrupt government to secretly store this thing there that they've been experimenting, experimenting on for like 20 or 30 years Mm -hmm. in the hopes that they can use it as a weapon or for whatever. Yeah. But this thing is genuinely a threat to the planet. Um, but you asked me whether uh you know james gunn well i mean i i inferred that you what you meant was uh james gunn's script 
was uh, was making some sort of commentary about the United States or something like that. Yeah, and, uh, like intervention on foreign soil. Yeah, and you know, thinking about it now, I I still don't I don't think that it was an overt statement about the United States in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I, I'd even go so far as to say that the that concept. I don't think it came from James Gunn. I feel like it's just baked into the idea of the Suicide Squad, period. Because, That's true. That's true. Because the, the whole purpose of them going out there gives the gov- U.S. government plausible deniability. Exactly. Right. So it's uh-huh. it's 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 a it's a core concept of the Suicide Squad is the idea that the U.S. government takes criminals, super criminals, and uses them to go on missions that they can exactly that gives them possible deniability so that you know they that the government doesn't have to take responsibility when things go bad you know or it gives them the freedom to do whatever they want to do in order to achieve their ends and so i don't think it's an overt statement on uh james gunn's part in writing the script that he was making some sort of commentary about the government or whatever I, i i do feel that it's kind of baked into the cake that's that's just what the suicide squad is about Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but i will say that and and this one i don't think this was a a conscious thought either and i might even go as far as to say that this might just be uh bad timing slash a a poor coincidence you know Mm -hmm. but one of the one of the one of the story elements in the Suicide Squad <laughs> is that when they go to this island, so this island that has uh, the starfish, the Star of the Conqueror on it, mm-hmm. uh, prior to the Suicide Squad arriving on this island, the thing about it is that the government on the island is overthrown by a military coup, yeah. and this military coup takes over the government. And because this, uh, the new junta is not friendly towards the United States, the Suicide Squad is sent in to destroy this weapon, right? Or, yep. well, what they're told is they're they're sent in to destroy this weapon. But the real thing that they're there to do is to destroy any evidence of America's uh, link to this weapon. Mm-hmm. Is is what they're actually trying to do, but. But yeah, one of the the story elements uh, that runs through the film is that uh, there are rebels in the country that want to overthrow the military junta, and they want to, you know, uh, install freedom, quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a scene at the end where the rebels invade the capital and you see all these generals in suits and they're like, we're the leaders now, we're the presidents now. And then, um, you know, the rebels go in there and they basically say, you can stand down or we will like take over the government or we'll, we'll kill you. These guys refuse. And it's just, they just get mowed down with machine guns. Yeah. And then, you know, at the end, they're out there and they're on the news and they're just celebrating and they're like, freedom has come. We've brought freedom. Yep. You know, it's it's and, the first time we've had democratic elections or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But yeah. 
watching this after everything that happened on January 6th, I cringed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I winced like at the thought of that. Don't don't get me wrong, I'm not a fan of dictators or whatever, but I'm hard I yeah, I it's hard for me to say that I'm that much of a fan of the idea of an armed insurrection <laughs> either, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> something that that makes you think a little bit more, especially since something like that happened, you know, on our in our country. That's yeah. the kind of thing that if 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 we had seen that scene even a year ago, I don't think we would be having these kind of thoughts. Yeah, I wouldn't have that's, Yeah, those are the kind all. of things that you expect to see in third world countries. Yeah. You don't really expect something like that to hit so close to home. And yeah. even though I'm pretty sure the I'm doubtful that the intent was to make any kind of uh yeah same social here. current well. social commentary but yeah. I, I think just by coincidence it was like huh that yeah. that's uh an interesting thing to see on screen uh just because i guess it's just been in the back of our minds more often uh lately compared to before yeah. well but that's the thing like i you said that okay so we said that we wouldn't have flinched or bat an eye at the thought of it and I, I'm actually rethinking that. I think, I think, even as a viewer of the story, I think, you know, assuming that I've bought into it, I, I would even go so far as to say that I would be on the side of the rebels had this been a year ago. I would have been like, yeah, th- you know, this was a military coup, and they finally got to overthrow their military uh, dictators. Their dictators. And now they're free, right? Like, who can be against freedom? But then, again, the scene is these guys went into the Capitol and they just mowed down all of these <laughs> people. And, you know, with everything that's happened recently, that was something where I was like, I don't think I'm behind this <laughs> as a means of, like, change. I, I can't say, like... There's something that doesn't sit right with me about this, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't I wouldn't want any part of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't think uh, yeah, I'm like you. I don't think that was uh purposeful commentary on his part. I think it was just bad timing and a bad coincidence, mm-hmm. but it was interesting to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention, but one of the things I did like from very early on in the movie was that they actually did give John Ostrander a cameo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it's kind of weird um, now that I think about it because he was one of the handlers that was injecting the uh, micro explosive into the skulls of these criminals. Yeah, and in, in in the scene where Michael Rooker as Savant was about to get his uh, treatment, yeah, John Ostrander was one of those doctors standing behind him, and he actually had a line too. I forget what he said, but it was just a brief line. It was it, it was just cool to see him. It was something like "good boy" or "good pet" or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was you know something that just dehumanized these criminals or the you know whatever. Yeah, but the thing that I thought was interesting now in retrospect is Brubaker had an appearance in the winter soldier and he was a guy in a lab coat too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking the same yeah. thing, man. 
Yeah. I guess anytime uh, people want to get, want to give these comic book creators a cameo, that's always a good role for them. Yeah. Just have them, uh, have them stand in the back. Have them be a mad scientist. <laughs> yeah, just as a mad scientist. It, it yeah. makes sense, man. That, there's something poetic yeah. about that. Um. So did you, did you want to talk about any of the characters at all? Like, were there any that uh, gravitated towards you, that you found yourself gravitating towards, or any that you uh, liked more than any others, or any that you even disliked more than any others? Well, I think I like Idris Elba as an actor quite a bit, so I, I certainly enjoyed seeing his yeah. portrayal of Bloodsport. And like you said earlier, if we still if we're still thinking about Bloodsport five years from now, it's because of him. Yeah, yeah. You know, th- this was a pretty obscure character that John Byrne created when he was doing Superman, I think. Yeah. So, and then if you guys listen to us talk about comics long enough you'll realize that we've never said anything positive about John Byrne. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like Even I know he is a, we, we acknowledge his contributions and we recognize that he is beloved, beloved by a certain group of fans over a certain age. Like, yeah. I well, personally don't have too much affection for him. What would you say? I was, Oh, uh, uh, you said we personally don't have that much affection for him, which I agree with, but I said, there was that one teenager that we met once who was a John Byrne fan. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he was, was an outlier though. He was he was fascinating. <laughs> yeah, he he had some pretty different tastes from yeah. what you would expect someone of his age to be into. This was I a kid. Like, yeah, he was a teenager, <laughs> like a younger teenager at that. But I feel like most people we know or I don't even know if we personally can say we know, but no, I've, I've met people at comic book stores. So, yeah, I'm going to say people that we've come across, whether in person or at shows or over the Internet. I feel like most most of the people who are really into John Byrne are older are X-Men that, fans. Yeah, they're people who grew up reading his stuff a lot. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're actually of that age where we did grow up reading a bunch of his uh, 90s comics. But I couldn't say that. I was a fan of of those. I wasn't yeah. a fan of. Well, I went back in time and and read his older stuff too. Like I, I read his his Uncanny X Men stuff and his you know which he only drew that Claremont wrote. And I I also read a, lo- a lot of his Superman stuff. And yeah, those just aren't comics that I'm into, man. Yeah. So it I mean it it is what it is. But yeah, the other thing is. Knowing what he's like as a person, I don't yeah. mind not liking his comics. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not a fan of the man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you had Bloodsport. Um, I liked his you... helmet. I liked his helmet, man. It's. I, I can say everything about the film version of Bloodsport was in every way better than the actual yeah than the blood sport of the comics yeah totally totally that's, it's just that's just the case yeah because there's, there's no question the blood sport of the comics is just a dude with a do-rag with eye holes and uh he's just a guy with guns like he's just kind of a very like generic 90s gun-toting character you know yeah yeah the blood sport yeah. in the movie had 
some kind of futuristic weaponry and and armor just yeah. uh, some kind of i don't know if it was really ad- advanced armor or if it was just a bunch of different weapons that were uh yeah you know attached to different pieces of his armor or his, his pockets and whatnot but yeah it, at least it gave him an interesting or memorable look to his character like the well, costume design was was well done it's kind of funny like when i think about it now he's kind of the modern version of uh a 90s gun-toting uh comic book character yeah it's like like if, if cable didn't need that many pockets to if hold he didn't all need, this stuff exactly if he didn't need that many pockets if he didn't need that many like ammo clips if if they found a way to just make it all practical and part of the uniform, yeah, that's basically what what uh, Bloodsport was in the movie because he was just pulling guns out of everywhere on his armor. You yeah, know? yeah. The interesting was interesting thing was how he would pull out a little a little piece of I don't know metal or something, and then it would expand into yeah a piece a of bigger gun. gun yeah and then like he he was combining like it could them. fire on its own but it could be combined with another piece on his armor to make yeah. a bigger gun yeah exactly yeah um another character that we uh see a little bit of is polka dot man he's he's someone that i'm pretty aware of if only because he's just such a bizarre slash uh ridiculous jokey yeah, yeah ridiculous character character but uh i don't even know the name of the actor that they got to play him but he is i want to say that he's i assume that he's a friend of james gunn because i i've seen him in guardians of the galaxy as just kind of a bit bit player bit role I just looked him up uh, on Wikipedia. It's a guy named David Dastmalchian. Yeah, I've never heard of the dude, but I just recognize his face because he's got a pretty, like, memorable face. I'm looking at his credits. He he was not actually in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. He wasn't in the second one? He was not. But what he was in, he was in both of the Ant-Man movies. Huh. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Okay. So, well, I guess he's not in it then. Uh, let me take a look at this. But it is a pretty uh, funny character, though. The movie gave him gave him some pretty funny moments too. Like all those times where he just envisioned where you saw the world from his perspective and everybody looked like his mom. Yeah. And that's his, what motivated him to kill people because they looked like his mom. His backstory was that his mother had experimented on him as a child. And as a result, he just resented his mom so much. So his motivation or, or the thing that made it okay for him to hurt people was that he just envisioned them as his mom. Yeah. <laughs> There's something funny about that. It's it's pretty silly. It's uh yeah, it's pretty funny. Um I don't know, like he again, this was another example of 
a character who they it it did feel like they had softened his edges a little bit because through you see flourishes of him throughout the film uh you know being mm-hmm. i guess kind or being a character that you could feel some sort of sympathy for mhm but i like i was telling you uh prior to or or after the film rather um like there there's also an interpretation where if you look through a different perspective there's something like deeply disturbing about this dude you know oh yeah it, it's absolutely <laughs> not normal it's it's twisted it's sick yeah 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 like time and time again you just see through see what he's seeing and everybody is just just has his mom's face you know yeah. he looked at starro and he's imagined a gigantic version of his mom yeah yeah it was pretty funny though like they played that for comedy pretty well yeah they they made they were able to turn a troubled man's psychosis into a joke yeah so kudos to them for helping me uh, have a laugh at mental illness (laughs) (laughs) um did you have any thoughts about any did any of the other characters did anyone else jump out at you let's see well just going down the list of characters it seemed like harley was the i don't know if she was the the main or the the lead but she was she probably got more screen time than most of the other characters like she was one of the the central figures yeah uh, compared to the relative to the to the five main squad mates well it's interesting how it's interesting how for a large portion of the or yeah for a for a chunk of the film she was kind of absent right after that early scene you Mm -hmm. know yeah and i i even kind of forgot about her briefly uh until she showed up again but i mean it's it's weird because even though part of the appeal of the or not appeal but part of the 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 conceit of the film is that anyone can die in in this movie the whole time i was watching it i was you just get the feeling that harley's not gonna die exactly i was like in spite of it all i'm pretty sure she's the one person that's not gonna die right yeah so um but i didn't yeah i mean i didn't hate her in this film or anything like you know like if you've listened to our podcast before you probably know that we're not a huge fan of the current incarnation of harley quinn and i'm not even talking about margot robbie i'm just talking about uh how she's portrayed in yeah. different media mediums yeah. in general like the current comics incarnation of harley where she she just looks like a uh, i don't know like a gothy hot topic lady well i don't even think so i want to say that her new thing is kind of She's kind of an e-girl now or something like that. I don't, I don't even, even know, know what an e-girl is, man. That just tells you how old I am. 
it's it's I don't know. It's kind of an evolution of the the hot topic sort of character or whatever. But uh, just just think of okay, think of it this way. Um, you know, girls that are like Twitch streamers. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, that's that's generally what an e girl is. Just oh okay. You know, vaguely if you can kind of imagine the thread that goes through all that. But but yeah, yeah a- anyways. Um yeah, but I thought, you know, in this version of the film, uh you know, in spite of that version of Harley not being the the Harley Quinn that I prefer, uh and in spite of the fact that I don't really even think that Harley Quinn should be in the Suicide Squad just on principle. Yeah. Um like she didn't bother me and I, 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 yeah, I found entertainment in her in the film. So, you know, it was, yeah. it was, yeah, I was okay with it. Yeah, yeah, I, I can get behind that sentiment as well. Yeah. But since you mentioned it, let me ask you, man, what, what makes you say that you don't believe Harley belongs on the Suicide Squad? What is it about the character that makes her a poor fit for the concept of? suicide squad well i think per okay i think between me and you i think you're the person who has the more uh principal take on that i i think for me it's just it's more about the fanboys you know because <laughs> it or the masses okay the the sentiment behind it is that the masses love harley quinn and uh for Whatever most other people love you hate the the simple the the simple version of that is yes it's that but i was gonna say that it just felt like putting harley quinn on the suicide squad was a way it 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 felt like it was a decision made by corporate execs who thought to themselves well harley quinn's a popular character how do we how do we cash in on that how do we turn her into a a hero so that we can cash in on that what better way is there than putting her on the Suicide Squad? Yeah, and so that we can, yeah, and and then slowly transitioning her to becoming, just, if not a hero, then an anti-hero, you know. Uh-huh. And I don't know. I I I'm certainly not a fan of those sorts of uh, machinations by uh, giant faceless corporate executives, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. About comics but yeah uh yeah but that being the case like i don't want you know like i i love harley quinn as as her original incarnation as she was envisioned by paul dini you know that version of harley quinn is is excellent yeah 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 and that's that's kind of the only harley that i want to be honest but they've moved so far away from that i i really don't think we'll ever see her again yeah we're we're definitely not going back to the version of her that's like a jester Mm -hmm. um you know a jester sidekick or whatever well i don't know i i think there's a chance with with nostalgia being constantly a thing there may be a day where some future writer some some kid who grew up on Batman the animated series and who read uh 
those comics, uh, the early comics where she appeared, um, there might be someone out there who's going to tap into nostalgia and find a way to make a, you know, a, a modern relevant take on on what was at the core of Harley Quinn, right? Well, the problem with that theory, Albert, is that the kids who grew up watching Batman the Animated Series and appreciating the good comics that featured her ended up doing this podcast instead. <laughs> so we're not in position to implement those changes in the comics. Yeah. Well, maybe there's somebody else out there. If you're out there, please show yourself. <laughs> Save us from the madness of e-girl Harley. <laughs> I'm still um, not really sure what makes her an e-girl, though. <laughs> I think it's mostly just the look. Uh, just the, the stylistic choices. Oh, um, like the... the lightly blue dyed hair or her yeah. her pigtails and, and yeah. all the makeup and stuff. Exactly. And just even the style of clothing. You know? Oh, okay. Like yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah I just I just don't think Harley really works when you try to make her a central character like that. Mm-hmm. Where she's Working on as part of this team, trying to. I mean, I guess even on in the movie, it wasn't like she was. She wasn't like the moral center of the team or anything. She was just someone who did things because other people told her to. Which, if you think about it from that perspective, it's kind of a waste of the character, to be honest. Yeah. yeah that that could have been anybody doing that role. Like she wasn't. Like, what did she really? contribute to the suicide squad other than presumably selling more tickets because you have the draw of margot robbie as harley quinn but as a character was there anything particular that she brought to the movie that made her unique and i don't really think there was anything so there we go back to what you were saying earlier about how having her in this was purely a business decision yeah yeah and I'd even go so far as to say that I like I like Margot Robbie uh, like in other things that I've seen her in, but there's something about the way she does Harley's voice that kind of grates on me too. It's like she's trying a little bit to do the classic Harley's voice, but not quite. She's not quite there. It's a it's, a, it's like a bad interpret or a bad impersonation of of that version of Harley. You know. Yeah. You know what it kind of reminds me of is the, you know, those recent, well, I say recent, but I'm talking like within the past five or six years, but those uh, more recent Harley cartoons or animated films. Yeah. I I don't remember who does the voice of her in those. I just know it's not the person who did her voice in the animated series from the 90s. I th- yeah. Actually, I think it might be one of the actors from Big Bang Theory yeah. doing her voice, and it yeah. it just sounds wrong to me, man. Like no yeah. no offense to the whoever that actress is, but yeah, it just it it sounds like someone who's trying to do the classic Harley, but just isn't there. So all you do when you listen is you notice 
how off the voice is. Yeah. Like in some yeah. ways it would be better if you just did her own her voice. Own thing. Yeah. yeah. It always feels like they're trying to do like some sort of nasally Brooklyn sort of accent or something. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Or like Jersey or, you know, you know, one of those really like prominent like East Coast accents. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, and that's not I don't I can't say that that's what Harley is, uh, you know. Not, She's not, not a not, Jersey native. Not as far as I can tell. <laughs> where is Harley Quinn from, Albert? Gotham City, man. <laughs> is that where she was born and raised? Sure. <laughs> um, well, is Gotham City in New Jersey? That's a good question. <laughs> that is a good question. <laughs> None of it's real, man. <laughs> um, yeah. So the movie did take its time to give uh, certain characters more backstory than others. So you know, we we get a little bit of Bloodsport, we get a little bit of Ratcatcher two and her backstory. We get some with uh, uh, Polka Dot Man, and uh, am I missing anyone? Like in terms of like people that they actually took the time to delve into their backstories a little bit. I feel like those were the ones who received the most yeah. backstory. Like Peacemaker and King Shark and Rick Flagg, Amanda Waller. They you don't really get a whole lot of character backstory with them. Yeah. I did think it was interesting that Peacemaker didn't get any sort of backstory, you know? He you was... know what I just read in uh, this article on The Hollywood Reporter? I, I learned that they're actually making a Peacemaker HBO Max television series. With John Cena? With John Cena. And I think James Gunn is going to be working on it too. I'm kind of behind that because it was... Uh... I, you know, I think I've come around to that idea that I actually like James, uh, John Cena. <laughs> Whoa, he's, you don't think Cena sucks? He's entertaining. And <laughs> he, from what I know of him, uh, like, like in, in, in terms of his interactions in the real world, he seems like a decent dude. You know? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I'm, I'm, I was never one of those Cena sucks guys. Why not, man? You like this tool? Because you tool, can't man. see him. You can't see him, Drew. <laughs> um, oh, man. But I, I don't know. I, I thought, I thought. well, one, one thing I want to say is I did think John Cena had a pretty cool line at the end. Um, so there's a revelation towards the end of the movie that John Cena is actually a plant by Amanda Waller. To mm-hmm. be, to to basically carry out the mission, should uh, any of the other team members uh, find out and refuse to follow through. Yeah. And he goes around and he starts eliminating uh, the other team members. He he kills Rick Flag over the hard drive. Yeah, he kills Rick Flag over the hard drive that contains the the evidence, and then he chases down um, Ratcatcher two, and he's about to plug her right in the head right mm-hmm. and 
and there's this line where she's talking uh, she's basically pleading, pleading for, for her, her life and she says to him like you have me you could just destroy the hard drive why do you need to kill me and he just looks at her and he goes because i'm thorough that yeah. was that was a pretty good line i was like Ooh. <laughs> and and he was pretty uh you said it with conviction menacing. yeah he was exactly like that level of conviction was played mostly as a joke throughout most of the movie because his whole thing was, you know, I will kill any man, woman, and child if it means the preservation of peace. Yeah. I love peace, you know? Yeah. That's, that's what he said. Yeah, and, exactly. And it's, it, was, it was a pretty ridiculous thing to say. But at the same time, it was super true to who he was, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. He, even right down to the end when he was playing it serious, it was like this was in line with who he was and what he was. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's an interesting character because unlike the rest of them, I'd say his costume is almost exactly the way that it is in the comics. And yeah. Yeah, the colors very scheme, yeah, the helmet. And the color scheme jumps out because everybody else is in blacks and he's just in bright red, white pants, and a shiny metal helmet. And Yeah. Red, white, and blue, man. I think he had uh, some blue trim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was just again, like for us watching, he, he sounds like a madman because of like how quick he is to violence and to use violence to achieve his his goals and his ends he's like a stereotypical jingoistic american yeah yeah yeah. and like (laughs) his patriotism is so um is is so intense that he doesn't question it at all like this is a dude who is in jail and he's still rah 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 for the country yeah right so even though they don't tell us what his backstory is that says something about what's going on in his mind, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and again, and the fact that he like dresses so differently than all these other characters, that's just an indicator of just how I want to say not pure, but like well, I guess pure is kind of the word. How purely he believes in the things he believes. Like he is not insincere about yeah his look he is not insincere about his mission this guy is like he genuinely believes what he believes yeah exactly and there's not really anything anyone can do to shake him off that path yeah was there so at the in the final battle when he's fighting with rick flag did you ever get any indicator that in a different universe, these two guys could have been the same guy, or that Rick Flag was fighting maybe someone who could have been a warped older version of the person that he was. No, I don't you think never so. Got that? No, because Rick Flag isn't that type of person, and if if he had been portrayed as that kind of person, then I, I think that would have been a poor use of the character, you know, or a poor interpretation of the character. Like, okay. I, I don't believe that is the worst case scenario for Rick Flagg in the future, you know, like that it would have to be some kind of alternate universe for him to turn out like that. Well, but what I'm saying is 
when Rick Flag, so again, I I I haven't read the Suicide Squad comics, so I'm not quite as familiar with Rick Flag, but when Rick Flag goes into the Suicide Squad towards the beginning, is he more jingoistic or more, you know, about country? You know, like does I would say he's a good soldier, but he has a conscience, and he okay. Like he he was he's a character that really resented having to work with these criminals, man. Like he yeah. he did it because he had to, and somebody needed to keep them in line. Yeah, and uh, the wall had basically pressured him or coerced him into doing it. But it's not like he gained any kind of he didn't have respect for the people he worked with. He detested mm-hmm. them, and he didn't didn't want to be anything like them. Okay. Okay. Like one of my uh, favorite Rick Flag moments in in that run that still stuck with me all through this time was there was this one issue, man, where early on, uh, after Amanda Waller starts sending Task Force X out on a couple missions, there's hints of their existence in the in the I guess the spy community or whatever. And Batman gets word of this and he's not, he's obviously not a fan of the U S government using villains. Some of whom are the ones that he's put in prison. Yeah. He's not a fan of them using these guys to go on black ops missions. So he tries to investigate and he ends up finding, uh, he, he goes to bell rev and he, he finds out what's going on there, but he gets discovered by, a camera or something and as he's trying to escape the wall commands everybody to to go after him and he ends up fighting rick flag i mean he obviously beats rick flag up and and gets away but rick flag's pretty pissed afterwards because it, it was a moment where he had to fight somebody that he actually respected you know yeah yeah and, and he just kind of goes away from that confrontation like extremely angry he he was pissed royally pissed <laughs> at at the position that he was put in you know trying to he had to defend people that weren't worth defending against somebody that he genuinely respected yeah 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 and yeah that that that's the kind of thing that's the kind of character drama and internal development that i think makes that run of suicide squad so impactful and memorable because you get that character development you get to see what really makes the core of that character tick and what makes them special you don't really get too much of that in this movie other than a few cool action set pieces which i guess is fine because it's still an action comedy at heart but uh as far as rick flag in the movie uh being compared to uh, the peacemaker I guess if anything, I would say that Peacemaker is more of a foil for Rick Flag. It yeah. just It's just that Rick Flag in the move in the movie wasn't he wasn't really a focal point of the story. So Peacemaker being his foil doesn't really hit as hard. I think I think you would really have to you as the viewer would really have to be a fan of Rick Flag to to feel something when they have their confrontation. Mm, mm. Like I, I will say I was surprised that they killed Rick Flag at that yeah. point. 
like it it was a it was kind of sad man like I, I wasn't disappointed in the movie or anything but i was like dang he deserved better than that you know <laughs> like yeah he had to get killed by this douchebag bro <laughs> kind of character <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah hmm. what did you think of peacemaker as a comic book character like do you have any thoughts of him in the comics um i think the one claim to fame that i know about him well okay two things one is uh, a couple of years back we ended up buying this box of uh dc comic book cards from our childhoods mm -hmm. and we found it we found it at like uh some sale in uh Saramonte, uh and they sold us an entire box for five bucks, and I, I ended up picking it up just for nostalgia's sake. And was keep it really in mind, just five bucks. Yeah, it was five bucks, man. Oh, that's crazy cheap. Yeah, when we were kids, like I didn't want those cards at all because it was all about the Marvel cards. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, now that I remember, I had seen a couple of those DC cards, but they you could tell you could tell that um, DC Comics was behind the curve. And they were just trying to catch up with Marvel that was, like, killing it with those Marvel cards. Yeah. And what they put out was nowhere near as good. But as an adult and buying this box for $5 at that, uh, I did have a lot of fun with those cards, you know? And one of the things was that, uh, you know, it, you know, this is a long story, long longer than I'd like. But uh, one of the cards was Peacemaker. So that always stuck out to me. Um, but the other thing that I know, uh, that Peacemaker's claim to fame is he was originally supposed to be one of the characters that Alan Moore was going to use in his proto Watchmen story, but because of this or that or whatever reason, um, he Alan Moore couldn't use those characters and he ended up creating the comedian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so that that character is essentially was essentially going to be the comedian. Yeah. Um, and the comedian is a jingoistic kind of uh sadist or not yeah. sadist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I guess sadist is the word. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he he enjoyed killing people. Amongst other things. He enjoyed <laughs> raping people. Yeah, there we go. That's the <laughs> ticket. <laughs> yeah, he was a, a scumbag character. Yeah. But it is interesting to think about how Peacemaker was the original influence for the comedian. You can definitely see yeah. the connection and the parallels. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, because Peacemaker, the comic book character, was originally a character by this that was owned by this company called uh, Charlton, a comic book publisher. They eventually went out of business and DC bought up the rights to their characters. So they had the this whole line of superhero characters that uh, that they bought. So you, you had guys like uh, The Question and uh, I think Blue Beetle, yeah. Captain Adam. Yeah, and you can see how they're all—they all serve as analogs for the major characters in Watchmen. Mhm, mm mhm. Mm yeah, for sure. Um, 
I did want to mention something, uh, which was while I was watching this film, I, I I couldn't help but continuously make comparative notes to the other Suicide Squad Squad film that that they ended up making, the mm-hmm. V-less Suicide Squad <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. It got to a point where even after the movie came out, I or after we finished the movie, I I turned to you and I I was saying, "Hey man, I think I think it's worth it for you to check out the David Ayer Suicide Squad film just to just to educate yourself on just how different it was than what James Gunn did, you know?" Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, it, it's it's fascinating to me, but one of the things that they didn't do in that suicide squad film that they did in this one was that Amanda Waller's team is basically just a bunch of faceless like technocrats from what I can remember in the David oh, you Ayer mean film. The, the people at the base. Yeah. So were they I the did... same actors or different people? Well, that's the thing. They were just faceless. They were just, you know, all, they were just a jumble of, uh, you know, guys sitting at people just sitting at desk techies that didn't have okay. lines or didn't have any real interaction interactions other than to do what Amanda Waller told them to do, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, to, to see like her team actually have lines and different behaviors, uh, that would even ultimately run contrary to her own personal goals towards at the end. Like that, that was a pretty big change from, from uh, that first suicide squad film. And yeah, I thought that was interesting. And when you mentioned how in the comics, uh, the people at the base played such a prominent role, Mm -hmm. like I did think it, yeah, it just struck a chord in my mind that, Oh yeah, I guess that's one element that they brought into this into the suicide squad yeah uh, was these characters and it 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 even feels like it got to the point where so at the end of the movie when amanda waller is like losing going ape and like just yelling at the suicide squad for uh disobeying her orders and basically on the verge of killing them the people in her team knock her out you know yeah and and it's interesting to me that uh you know one Amanda Waller's just this really hardcore uh like intense like mm-hmm. hard ass uh a manager right and it's interesting to me to think that these people d- disobeyed a direct order from her and then they continued to work with her after that, after disobeying her, right? Yeah. So I'm kind of curious to see, like, what that looks like if they make more movies going forward. And it might even be a plot point because even at the end of the film, the the, the teaser thing or what do, what do you call that thing at the end of the movies? Uh, the post credit scene? Yeah, the post credit scene, right? Um, even that post credit scene, it involves like members of her team going to find a peacemaker, and you can tell that they're involved in what whatever project that 
she's got moving forward, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, that they played a bigger role than I thought that they were going to play, you know? Her, yeah, her totally. That's so true. I do think it's it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, I didn't know that they were going to make a, a Peacemaker show. So it does feel like they are planting the seeds for that mm-hmm. here so that, you know, the people in her team will end up playing more of a role on that show. And we might yeah, even make sense. We might even see Amanda Waller, like what that dynamic, that that uh, fractured dynamic looks like play out in the show you know yeah that's true that's true and i will say I, that oh go ahead oh I'm, i was just gonna say if if anyone is interested in a in checking out a peacemaker comic i just re- remembered one that was fairly recent that i i would recommend but uh, a few years ago grant morrison did this series called the multiversity and it's a series each issue d- done with a different artist and each issue was also uh, focused on a different earth in the multiverse so if you look up the issue from the multiversity called pax americana which was drawn by the great frank quitely that's a story that takes place in the kind of i guess the charlton universe so it's got all those those watchmen those those could have been Watchmen characters. So Peacemaker is one of the main characters in that comic. And you have Blue Beetle, Question, and Captain Adam, and, and Nightshade, and Judo Master. So, yeah, I was just going to say, check that comic out. And it's Frank Quitely and Grant Morrison, so you know it's top tier. Yeah, yeah. What'd you what think you of... What were you about to say? Oh, I was going to mention that Viola Davis was another character that carried over from... Uh... Yeah. The first Suicide Squad movie. And and I want to... Yeah, I, like it's been a while since I saw that film. And I will say that... I, I don't remember... I would have to re-watch it to really consider whether... Like she... Whether Viola Davis did anything different... Uh, in that first film. In her portrayal of Amanda Waller and how she portrayed her in this film. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I think the idea was that she was still this hard ass in the first film, but Mm -hmm. there were times where I don't know that she behaved in character. Um, In the first film or in this one? In the first film. In the first film. Uh, Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of curious because in the second film, uh, I do feel like it might have been her portrayal of Amanda Waller might have been more overall more in line with the Amanda Waller that we see in the comics. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm curious what your thoughts on, on her are Drew. Yeah. I, I was going to say in regards to her character, I felt that Viola Davis did a really good job portraying her as a hard ass in this movie. Like that's who she is. That's what, she should be like she's someone who is willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done and if the if a member of the squad goes off the grid or or does something she doesn't want them to do yeah she's not gonna she wouldn't hesitate hesitate to kill him to yeah to press the button i think 
the one thing that surprised me with her portrayal or her acting in The Suicide Squad was at the very end, right before, after the team destroys the tower and Starro goes into the city and starts messing everything up, she tells them they're done with their mission and, and they can go. But just as they consider doing that, they have a change of heart and Bloodsport ends up turning around and deciding that they need to do something about this kaiju. <laughs> and and she ends up losing her crap. And yeah. She she's it's it's like the most uh panicked or yeah, I guess I would uh, yeah, I would go so far as to call it panic. I would, it's the most panicked I've ever seen her and I don't really think that uh or I I guess I just imagine Amanda Waller being more in control of her emotions. Like mm. I, I would definitely see her getting angry, getting pissed, royally pissed. <laughs> but to see her completely lose her mind like that to the point where she was frothing at the mouth and you could see the spittle fly out as she was screaming, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it, it felt a little over the top for me. Like I, it's not that I think it's unrealistic. It's just that for the character, I think it's a little bit undignified of her. Yeah. Like, it, it wasn't anything where I felt like it ruined her portrayal of the character. It was just, man, that is, that, losing her mind like that is as undignified as seeing Kang the Conqueror jump on a table to explain <laughs> his plan, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, I can understand it in the context of the movie, but in my heart of hearts, that's not really how I want to see it done. Mm-hmm. Okay. But uh, yeah, other than that, I I thought everything that we saw of her was pretty much in line with what I would have wanted to see in terms of how I know her in the comics, the yeah. good comics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think overall Viola Davis was a good choice. You know, like mm-hmm. maybe that that one scene was uh, over the top. Mm-hmm. Like you know, if we had been in the position to direct it. Maybe it wouldn't have come out that way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you don't always get everything, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on King Shark? Uh, where, where does that rank in terms of the great Sylvester Stallone performances? Oh, shoot, I didn't even realize that was Sylvester Stallone. That was his voice, man. I don't think he acted the the motion capture, but he did the voice. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't act the motion capture, because, uh, well, from what I know of Sylvester Stallone, he's, uh, he's not an easy guy to work with. (laughs) No, he's not? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it's all anecdotal, but he, uh, yeah, from what I heard, he's, he's, uh, he's not the nicest dude. But well, this is the second time that he's worked with James Gunn, at least the, at least the second time, because I remember he was in Suicide or Guardians of the Galaxy too. He was, he was. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just saying, like anecdotally, in terms of like stories that I've heard, he's not, he's not, yeah, he's not necessarily the greatest dude to work with. But do you think James Gunn is the Stallone whisperer? I think so. Uh, like. 
you know, I, I, it would not surprise me if that's the case. Or he might just have enough of an appreciation for Sylvester Stallone that he doesn't He's willing have to. to let him get away with his crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Anyways. Um, like, King Shark was a character that I never... Like, I would see him around in things and... But I don't think I ever had any like true affection for King Shark as a character. Yeah. Uh, I I will say I think James Gunn has a talent for taking certain schlocky characters and making them endearing. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you have something like Groot or uh, King Shark, and they're kind of one note characters, but. But yeah, you, you he finds a way to make them uh, entertaining enough where you're like, I don't know, maybe you you find them kind of cuddly or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find King Shark kind of cuddly? Oh, <laughs> uh, the in the moments where he wasn't like ripping people to shreds, you know. <laughs> There were moments where he was... Like when he was looking at the goldfish in the aquarium? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stuff like that, where it's like, oh, that's... There's something uh, charming about that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or or even the moments where he's just kind of an idiot, where he's like, hand, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's like, does anyone have something to say? Hand. hand. <laughs> or, or like... Moments where he he uh, pretends to put a mustache. He uses one of his fingers as a mustache because, yeah. in his mind, that's a disguise. Yeah. Like, it's funny, you know? I mean, but at the end of the day, like, I, there's still the image of him literally just ripping a dude in half horizontally. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wait, is was it horizontally? Vertically? It might have been vertically. I can't remember if he was split down across his waist or, like, just split vertically. I, I think I think it was vertically because the dude okay. was just he he was just two pieces left and right, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. symmetrical. Yeah. yeah. Do you so. think we're uh, having seen King Shark on the big screen? Do you think that we will see Orca at some point? Oh, I don't even know if are they even in the same power level. I mean, isn't Orca a Batman villain? Yeah, yeah, but right. I mean, she's still a, a gigantic uh, killer whale, <laughs> or like a humanoid killer whale, which is a pretty weird thing to be. That's a really, really weird thing to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you have more love for Orca than you do King Shark? I've probably read more comics with Orca than King Shark, to be honest. Really? Just because I've read more Batman comics, you know? Like, I was... a I was always a Batman junkie. I, I was never really that into Aquaman and stuff like that. So yeah, well, I, came I don't even remember. More. I don't even remember that many stories where Orca fought. Like I know he's primarily a Batman villain in see, my. Orca is a chick. Oh, okay. I know that she's primarily a Batman villain, but like I, I can't recall any stories where he fought her. Yeah, I mean. Don't get me wrong, I read stories with her, but I, I don't necessarily remember the fine details of those stories because they weren't necessarily great Good. stories or, or, yeah, or memorable <laughs> yeah. stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was more just, this is a 
an unusual character that I'm gonna remember. Yeah. Know, long after I've forgotten the stories that she was actually in, I'll yeah. still remember that she exists just because she's a gigantic humanoid killer Orca. whale <laughs> with gigantic bazooms. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's weird, man. It's a weird design for a it's character. It's pretty weird. Yeah. I was going to say that I do like how uh, King Shark looks. I've always thought he was he had a fun look just because I think like every kid, I grew up with a fascination with uh, sharks. And, you know, yeah. I don't – that's not, not something that, – that's something that's still – there and part of me deep down in my subconscious somewhere in the comics isn't king shark more of a hammerhead shark than a great white shark i think no is it was he? a great white shark i thought he was I'm pretty a sure he was a great white shark oh okay i'd have to double check i the one comic that i do remember him in was uh one where he was fighting superboy i don't yeah i think his first appearance might have been in superboy yeah so, he ended up being uh Aquaman villain, I think. Wouldn't it be weird if they created him and he just spent the entirety of his existence avoiding Aquaman? Yeah. I mean, it you would know? make sense because Aquaman should be able to mess him up pretty badly. Well, but it'd be like, what if it was, what if we did a story where like, you know, it, it, it was like... um Like the acts of vengeance, but in the DC universe? No, I was going to say, it'd be like uh when like, two minorities go to a party with nothing but uh you know occidental people but they just spend their time trying to avoid each other because they dread having that <laughs> conversation where yeah. they're like hey this guy's asian too yeah. you guys should totally hang out with each other yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what if that's what's going on in their minds and he's like oh they're gonna put me with the other fish guy so we have to talk to each other because apparently we all have things in common. Yeah. <laughs> that that reminds me of the very first time I ever met Zach because we were at a, a get together at a friend's place from church. And yeah. I I didn't really I didn't know him at the time cuz he, he was still new, but we were both, you know, just mingling with other people and then this one guy uh knew I liked comics and he he uh said he brought me over to uh to zach and he said hey this is zach he likes comics too and then he just like walked away and then i looked at zach and i was like okay now i guess i have to talk to this person <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right and then, the funny thing is that you guys because, be because of the setup because of the setup i felt we felt obligated to talk about comics with each other. So after we exchanged pleasantries, I think I just asked him, oh, what have you been reading lately? Or what, what comics do you like? And the, the thing that he said, that, the thing that Zach said was, I've been getting into that Scott Snyder Court of Owls Batman comic. And after that, I was like, okay. And I think I just smiled politely, but inside I was just looking for a way to escape the conversation. <laughs> Is there any way for me to pull the fire alarm so that we have to mass yeah. evacuate? Yeah. yeah. I just went straight home after that. <laughs> you hear this? For those of you who don't read comics, um, let, let this be a lesson. 
just because you know two random people who both enjoy comics, don't presume that they're just gonna hit it off like mad. Don't just yeah. What? Especially, don't just walk one of them over to the other guy and just be like, "Hey, this guy likes comics too," and then walk away from that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that one time we, I think we were uh, at Justin's house and he introduced us to one of his friends and the guy told us he was really into Deadpool. Yeah, but he was specifically into Daniel Way Deadpool. Yeah. And we were just like, Deadpool. and we both collectively smiled at him and then looked for a way to change the subject. Ah. <laughs> 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 uh. Uh, don't do this to us, please. <laughs> if you want to introduce us to other people that read comics, you should uh, find out what kind homework. of comics they like first. <laughs> exactly. Do your homework. <laughs> uh, There's only so much we can talk about with someone who's still really into Rob Liefeld comics or something, you know? <laughs> oh, man. You have to understand... Deep down in our hearts, our impulse is to ridicule that guy. Yeah. <laughs> that does not make... self-control not to. <laughs> that does not make for a good relationship moving <laughs> forward. <laughs> but you know what? Things worked out between Zach and me because we, we ended up talking about other stuff that wasn't comics for, for a while. And really? then eventually, yeah, eventually uh, I started showing him good comics and now he's seen the light. Okay, okay. You know, and 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 uh wait, so you're telling me that you spent entire interactions with him where you weren't talking about comics? Yeah, in the beginning cuz I, huh. I just thought this guy likes Scott Snyder's comics. Like why would I want to talk am I gonna, about comics? Yeah. Yeah, there's not, What am I going to say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I I guess at some point you know, us being who we are, we can't really change Yeah that much out of our character eventually comics came up again and, and yeah. uh I, I don't remember exactly how the topic came up or how, what exactly we were saying but somehow uh i guess i just made it my mission to give zach <laughs> some good comics like i wanted him to read better comics than scott snyder's court of owls so once once he started reading other stuff and he got turned on to things that uh, he hadn't read before. He was able to, you know, see the light, basically, yeah, yeah. you know? And yeah. for those of you guys who are listening and have listened to our older episodes, Zach's been on our show quite a few times. And when yeah. we do those recommendations episodes with him and Shanus, you know, he's got a lot of good stuff to say. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a regular contributor on, on the show, man. Mm-hmm. Did you uh did you have any other thoughts on Suicide Squad? Uh not too much, man. Not too much. I mean, it it for the most part I would say it it was a film that was straight up a romp, you know? It was yeah. just straight up action comedy. It's probably like if if you're interested in the Suicide Squad, then you probably know what to expect, and I, I don't think that you'll be yeah. disappointed if if you're not too interested in suicides in watching the Suicide Squad. I don't know if there's anything I can say to to sell you on it. 
because yeah. it, it feels like one of those movies where if you like the trailer, you're probably going to enjoy watching the movie. Yeah. If you if you didn't think much of the trailer, I don't think that there is too much lurking under the surface to surprise you or to change your mind uh, about your first impression. I do think that if you're a fan of James Gunn's work, he's he's consistently like he's done it again, you know? Like Yeah, if, if you like think... the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, you'll yeah. probably like this too. Like th- there's definitely way more over the top violence in this and yeah. there's there's it's more an F-words and, and yeah and those kind of jokes and things. But as as far as like the the pacing and the the set pieces go, it, it's all pretty cohesive, man. And yeah, and there's there's just enough character to the different characters. Like I mean, there's just enough, uh, not necessarily development, but there's just enough quirks and things about the characters to make them memorable. Yeah. To make it uh, a fun ride. Yeah. I was going to mention, um, you know, while we're on the subject of James Gunn, like uh, one of the things that we discussed was the fact that James Gunn, uh, his background is in uh, these B movies. Like one of his earlier works, I looked it up, was this project called Tromeo and Juliet. And I want to, I forget what the name of the studio was, but I, I think it's called um uh i'm looking at our uh, oh it's from a company called trauma entertainment and the thing about them is they're known for like just over the top b movie violence they you know? made toxic avenger didn't they yeah exactly yeah. so his first movie with them was tromeo and juliet which was basically uh a version of Romeo and Juliet that was a B movie, you know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. high on sex, high on vi- violence, and um, and one of the other uh projects that he worked on was The Toxic Avenger, like one of the later movies. I looked it up. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um. So. So he's he's got a background in in doing like kind of schlocky B movie type films. And uh, you definitely see him bring some of that into into uh, the Suicide Squad because there are moments in the film that are really just I I couldn't describe them other any other way but gross or disgusting. Mm-hmm. But then there are other times where he takes something that's gross or disgusting and he finds a way to make it beautiful you know yeah like it's just a testament to his like visual style uh there's this one scene at the end where harley quinn jumps into the iris of starro yeah and it's you know it the scene imagine this scene there's a giant starfish that is being attacked by millions upon millions of rats it's just tiny tiny rats just swarming over this giant kaiju-sized starfish. And she jumps into the eye, like piercing the membrane of the eye. And she's inside where all the fluids are. And Mm -hmm. you see all these rats running into the eye hole and swimming in the water with her. 
like my description of it is disgusting. It makes my skin crawl, right? But the way that he films it, it's it's kind of gorgeous, you know. Yeah, he makes it's funny that he makes that part gorgeous when there's so much gore elsewhere in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's definitely one of the more memorable scenes. For yeah, me. there was also the scene when Harley was escaping from her captors and she picks yeah. up a couple of assault rifles and she starts just blasting that was a great everybody. Scene too. And, yeah. and instead of blood and guts flying out of everybody's bodies, you just see these pretty flowers sprout yeah. up. It's a yeah. it's a really bizarre visual, but I felt like it worked for the character and especially for that scene. It was it was pretty surreal, and I thought that was a really yeah. really well done uh, like sequence sequence and creative man. Like I I don't yeah. really know uh, how he thought of how he thought to do that or or what influenced that decision but it it yeah it definitely gave a really distinct look to what would have otherwise been a fairly typical hollywood action, action sequence yeah. yeah yeah those two scenes were pretty great scenes like just the type of thing where you can uh <laughs> you can just watch it on youtube just to appreciate it you know yeah totally totally yeah. Did you want to say anything about uh, that whole Harley escape sequence when, when we, before we recorded? You you had some thoughts uh, about the Har- Oh yeah. So um, you know, for a little bit of context, one of the things that I wanted to mention is James Gunn. If for those of you that don't remember, James Gunn was a guy who, after Guardians of the Galaxy two, there was a brief moment in time where there was some controversy going on about some old tweets that came out and uh you know for those of you that didn't follow it too closely uh the 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 short description of it is basically people that didn't like james gunn's personal politics wanted to use his uh his history to to get him canceled essentially Mm -hmm. and there was this upswelling of uh of just agitators who pointed at some of his older tweets and Disney for a time removed him from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And, and you know, I don't, I, look, I don't know what that community, like, I, I, I don't know, like, how they function or what their thought processes are. I, I can only presume that they still don't like James Gunn, like, that his personal politics and worldview hasn't changed. You know, Mm -hmm. he's still who he is at the end of the day. So, so, um, you know, me having watched this film, I can honestly say like, it's, it's a fun action film. I don't really think there's anything about it that would be controversial. Right. But, but the thing is that the people that don't like him, the, the comic skaters or the, uh whatever gators that are yeah, out there. The alt right. I think it was actually people. an alt right person who uh brought up those old tweets to try to get him fired. Yeah, it it doesn't surprise me. I think me, it was right? I think it was uh because he said because James Gunn had said something about Trump and this alt right person didn't like what he said about Trump. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's basically it in short, right? But mm-hmm. but 
there's a definitely a cross section of like the alt right and uh, comics comic book comics gators and slash comic book fans. Any that kind want, of gators. Any kind gamer of gamer gators. Yeah. All that, of these gators, man. <laughs> yeah. And there's a cross section between them that uh, want to poo poo like modern comics because they just feel like modern comics are trying to, you know, Shut alter liberal agenda. Yeah, stuff like that, right? They're trying to, uh, you know, change, like, force feed us an agenda, blah, 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 whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, so having seen this movie, I feel like it's something that anyone can enjoy. But I'm also cognizantly aware of the fact that if if someone truly wanted to just look for something to complain about just to just because they hated James Gunn, mm-hmm. there are very there's very much things that they could pick out through their like just warped perception and that they could magnify to justify why this is propaganda propaganda, you know? Yeah. So one of the scenes that I was talking about with Drew was the fact that there's a scene where, so in the story, Harley Quinn gets uh, kidnapped, not kidnapped, she gets arrested by by the government, right, uh, mm-hmm. of Corto Maltese. And the team, you know, uh, the Suicide Squad decide to go and they have to go break her out. But the way that the scene plays out is that it, it's basically one big giant gag so while the suicide squad are you know going through meticulously going through all the the different details in order to break into this uh, facility to save her uh harley kills her captors and basically wipes out everyone that's holding her captive in in this facility Mm -hmm. and the joke is once she gets outside she sees them you know about to do all of their they, they've meticulously set up all of the different uh things that they need to do to break in and break her out. Yeah. But she sees them outside and she's just like, "Hey guys, what are you doing?" and they just realize it's all for nothing, right? Cuz she's already broken her out. It's 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 a joke, right? Yeah. But I could very but I was telling Drew that I could very much see how if someone really wanted to look at this as propaganda, uh they could very much pinpoint that as a moment where, look at this. Uh, there's this scene where, again, they're just uh, up uplifting and pointing out how great, you know, how much better women are than men because mm-hmm. she didn't need <laughs> the men to save her because she killed all these guys on her own. Blah blah blah. How's yeah. that? How's that realistic? How am I supposed <laughs> to believe that? You know, all the stupid stuff that, like, gators say, and it's, like, I'm curious to see how that plays out. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if that's what happens or if that's what uh, what they end up saying. Yeah. But it, it holds no weight with me. Well, because, one, I'm not of their ilk to begin with. But, you know, I, I'm, I, I feel like I can objectively say just watching the scene or just watching the film – that yeah. on its own, it's fine. You know, it doesn't, there's no, uh, it's just part of the story, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's supposed to show you that she is capable of 
being part of this team and carry her own weight. And, you know, she's not just somebody that is helpless. She may not have any yeah. particular powers, but she's crazy enough to do all that. Yeah, and you, you just know, brought there's, up there's a great point, man. There's something like, deadly about her. Yeah, you just brought up a great point. Like, if she was as useless as these people, these Gators think she is, why would she even be on the team? Yeah. <laughs> what value does she, like, <laughs> bring? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah. Did you have any thoughts on that? Or uh, any anything to add? No, I think when you first brought it up, that that definitely caught my attention because I I hadn't thought of that on my own. I I, I actually didn't really think too much of, about uh, how that segment of the population would view uh, a scene like that. But once you brought it up, yeah, it, it totally makes sense. It, there, there's even a part of me that wonders if James Gunn intentionally crafted a scene <laughs> like that just to... Just to you know, irk them. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. To, to bake them, you know, to to yeah. challenge them a bit and 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 mock them. Yeah. So, no, and I, like, I, don't, I don't know if he would actually do that. Like, I I bet you, if you asked him, he'd probably deny that. Yeah. But part of me still wonders. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that entire community, like, I'm I'm pretty sure. Most of it is disingenuous. It's it's outrage for the sake of outrage because yeah. their movement, their entire movement is fueled by outrage. So, you know, it's just random the different things that they just glom to, you know? Like recently, He-Man by Kevin Smith was oh, yeah. like the new thing that uh, that they've just been focusing on and... I don't know. I I don't I don't get it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um but the the one other thing that I wanted to mention in brief was um if you're a fan of James Gunn's uh films, uh one of the one of the things that I think it's fair to say that he's known for uh ever since Guardians of the Galaxy 1 was just making these uh soundtracks for the films mm, that just yeah, slap true. you know and yeah. you definitely see the soundtrack playing a part in this movie like i don't know if the his music choice is necessarily obscure because it does feel like he picks pop songs or, or or at least songs that are generally popular from different genres Mm-hmm. but from and from different eras too yeah and he knows how to use them to pretty good effect to set uh mood you know yeah uh, totally. like yeah he's uh he, he's he's really talented at that you know like he's he i would trust him to make a, a playlist for me <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm not sure what music or what song it was that was playing during the battle against Starro at the very end when the rats were were uh, doing their thing and Harley was jumping into the eye but that that music was pretty it was pretty beautiful it, yeah it was pretty pretty nice music man pretty yeah inspirational yeah 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 man oh yeah the other thing that uh, we had to mention was the during the end credits scene they had uh 
the thank you section, the special thanks for the different comic book creators. <laughs> I wasn't, it, it went by too fast for me to read everything. Uh-huh. And there were a lot of names compared to some of the other movies that we've seen. But the thing that stood out to me was I saw Ethan Van Syver's name in there. Yeah. And then you pointed out that his name was directly between Gail Simone and Patrick Zercher. Patrick Zercher. <laughs> yeah. Um, for those of you that don't don't know, Ethan Van Syver is a he's a he's a internet personality. Let's call him that. He's a he's a pretty well known douche, and uh, <laughs> and he's he's a guy who's got uh, beef with. He's got animosity with a lot of people, and some of the biggest names that he's had. Uh, animosity with just happened to be gail simone and patrick zercher so it was funny seeing him right in between those two yeah (laughs) Uh, oh man do you think uh was gerard jones's name in there (laughs) did is he credited with anything from i don't know man i was just wondering (laughs) i mean if they gave Special acknowledgement to Ethan Van Syver. I was I was just wondering if Gerard Jones was in there too. Uh, well, I mean, now that you mention it, like if I was to pull on that thread and go down uh, a conspiracy route, well, okay, one I guess. For for all of his failings, uh, I, I guess e- Ethan hasn't done what Gerard Jones has done. So there's yeah. that. Yeah. But it doesn't make him a better person. <laughs> <laughs> for all we know, Gerard Jones might have had a hand in co-creating one of those obscure villains whose names we don't even know that appeared yeah. in a couple frames of the movie. Yeah. But I was gonna say, like, you know, he he he's a dude who was very close with Geoff Johns, you know, Ethan and, and Cyber. Yeah, yeah. So they did a lot of work together. Yeah, and uh, you know, Geoff Johns is a dude who who had a lot of influence in the industry. So. Uh, like, I don't know what the state of their relationship is currently. But, yeah, that's all. That's all I really have to say on that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you got any other observations or final thoughts? Nope. I think that was my final thought. I'm all tapped out when it comes to the Suicide Squad. (laughs) The Ohio State University penitentiary the suicide squad <laughs> the florida state penitentiary <laughs> that's never gonna get old man yeah key and peel dude key and peel um yeah let us know what your thoughts are on the suicide squad or if you have on on the movie, if you have any questions about the Suicide Squad as a team, feel free to DM us on Instagram at Between the Gutters uh, Podcast at gmail.com. Um, 
yeah, uh, you can email us at, at, at our Gmail as well or tweet at us and uh, we'll do our best to, to tell you what's up, you know? Yeah. Or tell us, you know, heck, let us know what you thought of the movie, you know? Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. This is Between the Gutters, signing off. Peace out. Peace to the out. Yes, I am here. I am here. I'm here. Are you? Are you? Are you? I'm I'm here. I'm here. I'm here for you. Are you? I'm here for you. You are. Are you? Yes. Okay. Answer me this. Out of all of the Suicide Squad characters that we saw, which Suicide Squad character do you think can provide you the least painful death according to their abilities? I'd probably have to go with Rick Flagg, mainly because he is a normal dude who uses conventional weapons, and he's also not a sadistic psychopath. <laughs> so I have to believe that if he were to kill me, it yeah. would be a clean kill. Yeah. He would not toy with me or take pleasure in seeing my pain. I think mm-hmm. he would just have to ex- he would just execute me in a methodical and precise manner and hopefully that means i would just expire as quickly as possible whereas I'll... with any other of those characters i can expect a prolonged and painful probably even torturous death yeah but i was going to say what if you were one of the characters one of the people that was killed by peacemaker when he was shoot spitting those poison darts at people and they were just dying instantly did the poison darts instantly kill them or did they uh, that's a good question slowly kill them like they dropped almost instantaneously once he hit yeah, them with they, the darts well, they could have just been paralyzed and maybe they would have been conscious as their body slowly shut down but when they were both going around and racking up scores between each other, uh-huh. remember he shot that one dude, and uh, Bloodsport was like, "That's just a wound. It's not a. It's not a kill, so it doesn't mm-hmm. count." Yeah. And then he was like, "It's a incendiary bullet, incendiary bullet. So give it a second, and then the dude exploded." Yeah. So if he slowly poisoned them then they would still technically be alive and it wouldn't count. Well, they would die at a certain point. It just wouldn't be an, a quick death. Mm. Okay. So, okay. yeah, that, I wouldn't want that. And obviously, I guess King Shark could give you a quick death, but it just seems like a really painful way to yeah, go. Yeah, I don't want to go. If you, like, King yeah. Shark might be the last guy that I want to uh yeah i mean if you're getting ripped in half i guess you die pretty quick but 
those last, that, <laughs> the second where he's pulling you apart. Those would be the worst couple of seconds of your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or if he just, you know, starts eating you. <laughs> yeah. Like, that can't feel good at all. Yeah. Or even the idea of rat catcher using the rats to, like, swarm over you. Oh, yeah, that's horrible. I am not, yeah, I can't say that I'm a fan of that at all. Yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't want that. Actually, you know what you just made me remember was during that scene when she summons all those rats to get to Starro. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a little bit of kind of cool, subtle acting going on there because, uh, what's his name? Uh, Idris Elba. Yeah. Sportsmaster. I mean, <laughs> Bloodsport. <laughs> Bloodsport. You know, he he hates rats and and he's he's got this weird phobia against them. So he's just like curled up in the fetal position or he's something. Towering. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. towering while these rats are are running over him and and you just see um, Ratcatcher put her put one of her arms on him just to, you know to offer some measure of comfort and yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It it wasn't like a lingering shot to you know make it really blatant or anything but it was just something where if you're if you're paying attention to the little details in the acting i thought that was a yeah. good little moment man it's it's like something to indicate that she she does care for him and and yeah. uh you know wants to help him you know get through this uncomfortable situation yeah well that's that's a that's a good catch good mention and i wanted to say well since we're uh mentioning other small details that were in the movie. Uh, there's this other scene or other moment that I wanted to mention, which was the very beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. And the way they set it up was they showed a bunch of members of the Suicide Squad, you know, the Suicide Squad that we thought we were going to get. Yeah. And they almost immediately proceeded to kill them off before they do the bait and switch of revealing who the real suicide squad is. Yeah. And this included killing off like characters that we thought were for sure going to be in it, you know, like uh, Captain Boomerang. Was he in the first one? He was in the first one. Did uh, he have a major role in the first one? Yeah, he he was he was a big part of the that first crew. Okay. That I, yeah, that makes sense because it, it felt like Harley and him had more camaraderie than the other characters. Yeah, the, it was those two and Flag, uh, mm-hmm. you know. So those three were the, the carryovers, but to see them all get, like, wiped out, like, in that first couple of seconds, uh, it's it was kind of this official, it, it made it feel official, like there was this changing of the guard, right? Where it was like, oh, yeah, yeah. you thought that this was the team. Nope uh you know uh that this is kind of what you were expecting based on the original that that first suicide squad film but right from the get-go we're 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 cleaning house you know yeah yeah i wonder how the actor of captain boomerang felt because he had if he had a big role in the first one yeah he comes on to the sequel and he's like oh man i only have a couple of scenes and and i die in the first five or ten minutes yeah. That's got to be a little disappointing. Yeah. I mean, I hope he was a professional about it and just kind of, yeah. you know, did the best that he could with it. 
Yeah. Like, I, I bet when that first movie came out, I bet he was excited and he was like, oh, I'm going to be part of the DC universe, cinematic universe moving forward. So this means at least a few more movies and like paychecks, uh, you know, notoriety, like a chance to like, you know, build up my my reputation and my uh, yeah. uh, my star acting power. Profile. Yeah. yeah, acting profile. Exactly. But yeah, I, I just don't think. Yeah, unfortunately, that well. Not unfortunately, that first movie didn't deserve to be good. <laughs> <laughs> that first movie was not good, but yeah, uh, you know, it it came to an end. They cleaned house, and uh, yeah, they gave us this new Suicide Squad, and it, it even gets to the point where I have a feeling if they do a second movie after this, I. I'm pretty confident we'll still still see Harley Quinn, but I feel mm-hmm. I, I have a feeling everybody else will change around her. Like, yeah, I don't know that they'll keep Idris Elba, which would be a shame. But yeah, I don't know that he'd be back. You think they'll bring back Will Smith as Deadshot? Yeah, I could see them. I could look if this movie does well enough. I I I could see Will Smith wanting to come back to it to you know uh like redeem that first movie yeah so uh i could i could imagine a scenario where that happens or heck we could get a scenario where we get both bloodshot blood blood sport blood Blood sport sport. (laughs) blood sport bloodshot sports master (laughs) dead shot (laughs) death kill Kill die. <laughs> but I could definitely see a scenario where um we might heck we there could be a scenario where we could get uh Bloodsport and Deadshot together. Which yeah. which would be cool. That wouldn't be. That wouldn't be. Yeah. But what would you think if they just changed the cast for uh every one of the movies? I think that'd be fine. I'd be fine yeah. with that. I mean, it's called yeah. the Suicide Squad for a reason. Yeah, I agree, too. It's like, that's, yeah, that's kind of the 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 whole point of it, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it makes sense to have some characters survive, but not every character can or should. I think yeah. the, the mainstay of the, of the team and the concept just needs to be Amanda Waller. Yeah. Well, with Rick Flagg dead, I do think, you know, listening to you talk, I I, I bet Bronze Tiger might be in the next one because be they cool gotta have they brought him in, yeah, yeah, because they gotta have like somebody else acting as a point man, right? And yeah, the conscience of this, the team. Yeah, and at this point, we haven't seen uh, Bronze Tiger at all mm-hmm. in two films, you know. Yeah, 